Welcome to The Changemakers by Food Niche, a podcast that stories and insights of visionaries tackling some of the biggest challenges facing our food system. On this podcast, you will find interviews with innovators, scientists, advocates, policymakers, educators, and many more, all united by a common objective. Get ready to be informed, inspired, and challenged. Now join the show host, Dr. Julia Oleandro. I'm really excited uh, to introduce to you my special guest, uh, Dr. Deanna Minnick. She is an health educator. She's a author of six books in the area of health and wellness. She holds a master's and doctorate degree and um, all in in human nutrition and medical science respectively. She's a fellow of the American College of Nutrition, a certified nutrition specialist, a certified functional medicine practitioner. She also serves on the board of directors for the American Nutrition Association, and she's the president of the American College of Nutrition. She has a passion for bringing out color, colorful, all self approach to nourishment called all detox and we'll be talking about a whole detox program as well she bridges the gap between science soul and art in medicine so we'll have the link to um, our website in the show notes uh, so you can visit our site and learn more about what she does Diana, it's so nice to have you here today thank you for joining us well, thank you for having me. And my goodness, you did your homework with uh, my bio, all of those things that you called out. So thank you for that acknowledgement. <laughs> it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. So let's let's get started by telling our audience a little bit about you, your journey. Um, how did you decide to go into nutrition? And you actually did go all the way. Like you, you, you didn't spare anything. So tell us a bit about that. Yeah, well, my journey started when I was very young, and I grew up in the 1970s with a very health-conscious mother who got us away from the white bread and into the brown bread, away from sugar and into fruit. So um, very early on, it was part of my upbringing to not have sugar, to not have a lot of processed foods. And in that time and in that era, that really wasn't commonplace, right? You were kind of a health nut, So I had that as a child. And then as a teenager, I rebelled against that. I felt like I don't want all these eating restrictions. And I started binging. I would eat a lot of sugar. I love chocolate. So um, I would say emotionally, my relationship with food was changing. And I realized that I didn't want to have that health focus that my mother had. I went into uh, college thinking I was going to study medicine. I was always a nerd. I liked science. I liked reading about the body and I had my own body issues. I had uh, gut issues. I had reproductive issues. I had endometriosis, which is an inflammatory condition of the uterus. I also had skin issues. And knowing what I know now at 50, I now know that all those things are connected. But at the time, I didn't know. And so as a teenager, I, I began going to dermatologists. I would go and get antibiotics for my skin. I just didn't know. So in college, when I was studying medicine, I was pre-med, I thought, you know, this is the way to go. This is how to execute science is to go and be a doctor. But then I began working for physicians during my breaks from school. And I just realized that I don't want that kind of life. And I don't know if I'm totally up for it constitutionally. And if I'm really in alignment with doing that kind of work, So then I went to graduate school 
and I couldn't believe it, but I studied nutrition, the very thing I rebelled against. And sometimes I feel like we have to pay attention to those things in our path. Mm -hmm. What creates a response in us? Because most likely there is learning and growth and maybe that's our life's mission. Yeah. I went to grad school, studied, I was a uh, nutrition researcher. After that, I went into the food industry I um, worked at a large food manufacturer. I went into the dietary supplement industry. I began teaching. I began teaching health professionals about nutrition because many of them don't have that training. And then I wrote the books. And I would say what I do now is um, a variety of different things. I, I still teach at the university. All the things that you mentioned, I'm still doing. And I like that diversity because oftentimes when I'm on the board for the American Nutrition Association, I can speak to something that I'm doing at the university level or something that I'm seeing in the scientific literature. So I feel like all the dots connect very nicely. But my biggest mission in life, it's a mission of nutrition to help people to live well without having to worry about, you know, I, I want it to, it to be very practical and enjoyable because when I was growing up as a kid, I didn't think it was enjoyable to eat healthy. I, I didn't like it at all. And I want something different for people if I'm able to create a different mindset for them. That's that's really uh, great. That's I, I wonder how much uh, your eating pattern changed when you started going into nutrition, especially in grad school, and you started learning about all the interactions that occur in terms of food and health, how they impact each other. I wonder how much that affected your, your dining choices. It big. Uh, it was, um, and in fact, many of us in graduate school all had our own eating pathology. It was almost like we went in to study nutrition to kind of figure out our bodies. So once you start reading about the literature on vitamins, minerals, different foods, you can't not know what you now know. And then there's a gap between what you know and what behavior you have. Like you said, when you're sitting down and ordering at a restaurant or making foods at home. So I would say that, um, you know, would I circle back and say that my mom was right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> my mom was ahead of her time and uh, she's still alive. She lives in Chicago. We have great health discussions even now. I still continue to learn from my mom. She's not trained in the classical sense of graduate school, but my goodness, that lady reads up on so many different things. And we have, um, so it, it, it changed me. And I'm a person who walks the talk. Like I don't feel in integrity, like I couldn't just go for fast food it, through the drive-through at this point and feel good about it. I would feel like, I mean, I haven't done that in since I started studying nutrition because my eyes were opened and then I was like, I, I can't, you know, you just know, I think when you know how good you can feel, you don't wanna go back to feeling bad. I don't wanna go back to bad skin. I don't wanna go back to bad, uh, reproductive function and inflammation in my gut. I don't want a tossing and turning gut. Like I'm going to make the choice for something better because I know what it will get me in the end. That's, that's really important. And, uh, and that's, that's one of the points um, here, like helping people understand how important those choices are to their overall well-being. Because like you said, once you enjoy the benefits of those great choices, you don't want to go back. And uh, hopefully people can learn from uh, these conversations and, and, and your experiences and just make that big choice, a big leap to um, 
making those healthier choices. So let's let's go down, um, follow that trajectory to talk a bit about the concept of detox and um, what, is, what is it really? Where, I mean, you hear people saying it, it's almost like a buzzword today, like many, many programs along those lines. Let's just um, talk a little bit about it. What do you think uh, people should know about that word, detox? Yeah, it is a very charged word, and I'm not sure it's the best word to describe what I'm going to refer to. Okay. But I didn't know about detox when I was in graduate school. There was no discussion of it. I didn't start hearing about it until I uh, began working at a dietary supplement company, and I was also seeing patients in a clinic with medical doctors, and we would have them on certain protocols for certain things. And one of the things I began learning about was something that's quite known in the world of pharmacokinetics and, and drug development and metabolism, which is how the body processes different medications, but then also how different things that we eat and different nutrients change the liver's ability to move things out of the body. So every day we are eliminating things. We're, we're pooping, we're peeing, we're crying, we are sweating, we are, I mean, our bodies are created to let go of stuff, but not all of us let go of stuff in the best way. And maybe some of us genetically have certain inefficiencies in our liver, in our gut, and also, as you know, Julia, our environment is increasingly more toxic. So we heard a lot about that during the pandemic, about the bouts of air pollution coinciding with COVID incidents. Um, so air pollution is there. The waters are contaminated with microplastics. We have heavy metals in the air. We have mercury, lead, cadmium, arsenic in our food supply. It's in our water. You know, everywhere you turn, it doesn't matter if you live in the middle of nowhere or you live in an urban setting, you have toxicants. And so what's happening is that the body is increasing its toxic load. And then that drives the need for more nutrients to try to override those toxicants. And again, not everybody can do that well. So detox to me is just the basic in of toxins, the out of toxins, and hopefully you want there to be a balance and what drives the out is in many times nutrition. So I began to see a change in people once I took them off of certain things like the, the top eight allergens, which is now nine allergens through the FDA, right? You know, looking at uh, dairy and gluten and soy and a number of these different things and how when people were off of these foods, I noticed that they felt better. And it just caused me to start to go down the path of looking at nutritional detoxification, giving the liver what you need in order to move things through quicker. You know, just even a simple B vitamin complex can help people who have methylation inefficiency or deficiency. And there's a whole topic around that, but basically I think we're learning how to optimize our bodies to live in a modern society that's very polluted and toxic. That's really interesting. You know, when, when you talked about the balance, you know, um, getting getting more of those toxins out and, and what are those things that you do that can help you push those toxins out? Like say staying hydrated is a, you know, just some practical things that you could do to uh, shift that balance. I love that question. Cause that's what this is all about. Like how to help people live better lives. So 
What you just mentioned about water and hydration, most of our body is water. Even though we look very physical and flesh oriented, most of us is, is water. So making sure that we have purified water. I was just on a plane this week. I, was, I went to Los Angeles and as part of my travel kit, I always bring my stainless steel uh, thermos with me because most airports have purified water stations where you can go and fill up the bottle. Don't be drinking out of plastic. If you can avoid it, don't drink out of those little plastic water bottles. They're number one, they're very expensive if you buy them in an airport. And number two, um, I, I think it's, you know, if we just think in it in advance and we plan accordingly, it's so much easier just to get your own water. Water is key. So and that relates to cleansing the body, making sure that we have fluid throughout the day. The moment you wake up in the morning, you're very dehydrated. You just slept for about seven to eight hours. Drink two glasses of water. The first thing we need to be doing in the morning is urinating, right? Making sure that our kidneys, which are really putting through a lot of stuff, and especially if we're diabetic, our kidneys are impaired. You know, that we have other issues. We have other inefficiencies with the kidneys. So we want to move them through and make it easier for the body. And when we're hydrated, our bowel movements are flowing better. That's another key part, which is fiber. Fiber is so important and fiber only works its best with water. If you just have fiber, you can actually get constipated. You need water to complement fiber. And the average American gets a very small amount of fiber compared to our ancestors. Ancestrally, we were probably taking in about 50 to 100 grams of fiber depending on the time frame that we're talking about, but the average American now gets about 11 grams of fiber a day. It's very small and that we need to populate our gut microbiome to keep us, and actually the gut microbiome helps us to detoxify. But if it's not in balance in our gut, then we don't have that, those additional helpers. We might actually have microorganisms in the gut that are creating toxins for the body to deal with. Wow. It's so interesting you went to microbiome because um, there was a talk yesterday that I was listening to uh, by um, Dr. Zhao. It will be on this show actually um, uh, very soon. So is um, it talked about microbiome and fiber. Actually is research. Um, it published a paper in science. It's focused on that. How um, you consuming specific um, eye fiber diet could help you um, change your microbiome and increase the population of bacteria that is very, very helpful and useful to your body that can lower your blood sugar levels. So he used that with, uh, he did a clinical trial with patients with type two diabetes and remarkable, remarkable work. And I'll share the link um, to his talk with you um, once once we published that. Very, very remarkable. So it was very interesting that you went that way and talked about how we can, uh, why, what, what we eat can affect our microbiome as well. A very interesting uh, perspective. So moving from detox, general detox, and um, to your own program, the all detox program. You know, you mentioned uh, something I was just, I was reading up on some of those things you mentioned, the intersection of the mind, the spirit, and and um, everything coming together, your mindset, what you eat and everything. I just want to just understand and learn more about that. Do you mind talking a little bit about that? 
Yeah, absolutely. That's that's one of my passions. You know, we we hear the term holistic healing, holistic health. What is holism? Holism is that you're more than your physical body. You are emotions. You are thoughts. You are spirit. You are so many things. And in fact, um, sometimes we have blind spots where we develop symptoms and then we start thinking, okay, I'm just going to go to the doctor and get a medication, or I need to figure out which nutrient I'm missing, which food do I need to eat? But it could be much bigger than that. Maybe it's about how we think. And there's a whole field called psychoneuroimmunology. And this is the influence of the mind psychology on the body. So what uh, I remember there was a study published some years ago, I think it was in it might have been PLOS One. Um, I'm not sure exactly of the publication, but essentially they were talking about how inflammation in the body was associated with more reactivity, more psychological reactivity, right? So there's no division between the body nor the mind. Many times the body is, is the manifestation of what we've been thinking. If we're always thinking negatively and always thinking worst case scenario and doom and gloom, well, that might start to create a certain milieu in the body. And I mean, how can it not change us, right? Our mind is, is not just in our brain. The mind is in the gut. And in fact, it's been um, talked about how our, even our gut microbiome is connected to our mood, to our sense of uh, our behavior, so sometimes our choices might actually be coming from a dysbiotic gut, an imbalanced gut. So it's all very connected. And Julia, as you know, during this time that we're living in, uh, you know, there was an immune focus last year, which I think is still continuing. But now, I mean, I, I just watched Oprah's series called The Me That You Don't See, I think it's called. She interviewed Prince Harry. It's all talking about mental health. Uh, Lady Gaga was on her show. I mean, everybody has a story about mental health. I mean, if it's not you, it, there's somebody close to you, like one step removed that has anxiety, depression, they're battling suicidal thoughts. They have panic attacks. It's just that we don't openly talk about those things, but we do know that there's a connection between food and mood, the body and the mind. I mean, this has been, I mean, why do we have a placebo in a clinical trial? The placebo is speaking to the power of the mind, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> right? Otherwise, if we didn't believe in the power of the mind and our belief and our mindset, we wouldn't need a placebo in a clinical trial. That's so true. It's it's so interesting how powerful uh, how powerful the mind is, and a lot of times, people start feeling better immediately. They get a treatment, not because um, the the effect of that treatment are setting, but because in their minds they believe. Once I get this treatment, all will be well. And almost immediately, they start, they start feeling that relief uh, even before the bioactive compound in that treatment kicks in. So yeah, I do agree with you. Yeah, there's, 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 um, there's that key part of it. So let's talk a little bit about the color-coded seven systems of health. Uh, is that something I'm familiar with, but I would like to um, learn more about yes. that. Uh, let me just see. I have a, um, a diagram, which really, so I have an operating system to all of my teaching. Okay. And I call it the seven systems. And it's just a way for people to organize. You know, I'm a very, um, I like to organize things for the ease of teaching people. And I, I think that people gravitate emotionally to color. So having colors, 
So, I'll, well, I'll, I'll give a high level of this, but we, if we want to dovetail back into food, I can go deeper into the color code of food specifically. But basically, seven colors, seven systems of the body. So the red is the alert, the adrenals. You know, it's more based on the endocrine system. The orange is based on um, the water functions of the body, the kidneys, the colon, the reproductive tract. Um, yellow is fiery, it's digestive, it's metabolic. Green is the heart, it's the cardiovascular network as well as the lungs. This aquamarine is thyroid health. It's um, metabolic function at a more endocrine higher level. Then the indigo is more the brain. It's um, the, the, the seat of consciousness. And then the lavender at the top is more the things you don't see. It's more like the detoxification, the cleansing. Um, it's also electromagnetic fields that we can't see, but you know we all generate that and we're all very prone to interacting with ones around us. So that's how I organize the body. And then based on the body system, I connect the foods into each of them. Okay. And I've actually published an article looking at the color code of red foods for um, the immune system and inflammation, orange foods for reproductive health, yellow for digestive health, green foods for the heart, and blue purple for the brain. And there's good science to suggest that there's a pattern of those foods in nature and how they actually have a functional signature for our bodies. It's very interesting, very, very interesting. So um, so when you make recommendations uh, based on the old body or, or what the person desires in terms of optimizing their wellness to nutrition, they can think about the color codes and think about what they are um, what they are working on or what they are, what, what they are improving. And then is it is there a case where when you look at your plates, you see all those color codes every single time you sit down to a meal? Or is this something that you see, you should see throughout the day, breaking it down into different color codes or something? I just want to get a bit of a perspective on how this works on a practical level. Yeah, and I would say for, just to keep it simple, it's like, we hear the phrase, eat the rainbow, you know, the rainbow of colors. Yeah. Uh, those colors have phytonutrients, thousands of them, which change the body. So when do you get them? I would say throughout the day, you know, for some people like this morning, I did have a breakfast with all of the colors, yeah. um, but that's not every day. And I, I think it's more important that we just get within a day's worth these colors. And, and the one that is in greatest supply in nature is green. Now, green is everywhere. We live on a blue and green planet, essentially. If you look at us from outer space, we're pretty blue and we're pretty green. So there's something about green. There's something about chlorophyll. And green foods, um, if you look at what they're rich in, they tend to be rich in things like folates. They're rich in vitamin K1. And I predict that vitamin K is like the next vitamin D. It's already starting where we see a connection between vitamin K and vitamin D. Um, it's also rich in um, so nitrates. Nitrates are important. Vasodilators are opening up the blood vessels. And sometimes in green foods, just like in the fall, when the leaves change going from green into the colors, you can start to see that there are colors underneath the green. Mm. So in many cases, the green that we're getting sometimes gives us a little bit of red, orange, and yellow. Not always and not in great amounts, but we can still get some of those colors through green foods. That's good. So you mentioned that you had um, you had 
a full rainbow, a full rainbow plate this morning. So do you, can you, do you mind giving an idea of the kind of meals you have on that colorful plate? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I am. Um, so today was a little bit different. So I had a, um, so I had tofu, organic tofu that I, I'm always thinking like, what's the protein? Let me work around the protein. And I try to rotate all of my foods because again, that creates diversity for the gut microbiome when you do rotation of foods, not eating the same thing every day. So I had uh, tofu that I pan fried with a little bit of like a pecan crust on it. And then I put that on a cassava tortilla because I don't do gluten with a bunch of microgreens that had some red and some orange in it because there were like little flowers on the microgreens. And then I also had um, sweet potatoes that were orange. I had papaya, which was orange. And then I had blackberries, which are blue purple. So I did get the green from the microgreens. I pretty much, I, I had a heavy dose of orange, I would say, but that's okay because I need those carotenoids. Mm. And I haven't had papaya, but it's in season now. So I thought I'm just going to have some for, for the it. digestive properties. So, but every day it's a little bit different. I try not to do the same microgreens, not the same greens, not the same fruits. Mm -hmm. Typically I have an avocado, some slice of avocado with my breakfast. I, I didn't have that today. But I have very non-traditional breakfast. Usually breakfast is the meal that people have the least color in. It's usually um, yellow, white, brown, mm -hmm. like eggs, bacon, cereals. You know, this stuff is lackluster. It's not giving you all of those abundant phytochemicals um, for the body. Like eggs, now eggs are a little bit unique because even though they're white and yellow and it it can also be a nutrient dense food, but I'm speaking to ultra processed kinds of foods that are depleted. Mm. You know, there's a lot of yellow out there. Mm. You know, yellow is the color for mood it, in the system of the color code. The, the way I came up with this is because um, if you look at the literature, now this is going to probably take us into a different topic, but if you look at the neurotransmitters in food, the highest amounts of serotonin, which is the happy compound, are found in yellow foods. The top of the list is plantains, bananas, pineapple. So there was an article in the, I think it was the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition in 1985, long time ago, where they looked at serotonin contents of food. And I think, do we know that if you eat more bananas, you're gonna be a happier person? We don't know that. Right. I know that I do like to have bananas. <laughs> and the... you know, they're sweet and they taste good. So that might make me happy. But there is something that I think a, a code that needs to be cracked about the hormones and neurotransmitters in food and how that translates into our particular mood state. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I love bananas as well. So I, when you said that, I was like, oh, that's a good one. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> So before we um, move into the next um, segment that I want to go into, I want to ask you a little bit about leaky gut. Um, and what is it? What is, what is it really? And I know we've been talking a bit about microbiome and, and how it affects our health, it affects our moods and all that. And, um, and I also know that you mentioned inflammation as well, of course, based on diet, uh, some people um, experience some um, health challenges, but I was thinking about leaky gut. I, um, I was wondering if you could shed a bit of light on that and how diet modification affect this. You bet. That's a great question. First of all, we are a nation of inflammation. There's no doubt about it. There's inflammation everywhere. The bedrock, the foundation of almost all diseases 
would seem to be inflammation. So the immune system is upregulated. The inflammatory cytokines are upregulated because they work hand in hand with the immune system. So how does that translate to the gut? So the gut is our, it's one of the points of, of entry from the outside environment to our inside environment. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the gut under a microscope, you're gonna see it's like a shag carpet, right? All these little uh, villi that are moving and each of the villi have cells along the border, right? And we have this villi for the surface area. It's perfectly designed so that we have increased surface area and movement and motility. Now, what can happen is if we start to eat foods that are inflammatory, this can change the structure of the gut. So now instead of a nice tight shag carpet, you get leaky junctions. Mm -hmm. That inflammation um, that happens in the gut changes the structure of the gut. So they call them tight junctions. If you look in the science, we see tight, like these proteins that are between the intestinal cells to hold things together nice and tight. But now when we have inflammation, it changes the structure of these cells and their relationship with each other. So they kind of pull away. And when they pull away and there's an opening, now you get a larger food particle or protein that comes into the body and the body sees this as, oh my gosh, this is an invader, right? It doesn't go through the normal course. And so it can increase inflammation in the body outright. Mm -hmm. So when we hear leaky, that's the kind of the general term, but you know, intestinal hyperpermeability, it becomes permeable. So here's my philosophy, Julia. I do think that yes, our diet can turn on leaky gut in the, in the body. And then we start to get bacteria that produce more endotoxin, more of these toxins that continue and propagate the leaky gut. We can all, but, but if I continue to take it out, instead of drilling it in, if I zoom out and say, why do we have leaky gut? Okay, are we living leaky lives? Because there's also leaky brain in the literature, because typically when you have leaky gut, now your brain has a similar membrane and you might actually have more opening within the brain and you don't want just anything to get into the brain. So what is so leaky about our lives? Where do we not have boundaries? Where are we saying yes when we need to say no? Right? It's about a stress response. Stress can also lead to leaky gut. Too much uh, over-exercising can lead to leaky gut. It's not just food. Uh, alcohol can lead to leaky gut. Medications can lead to leaky gut. Food sensitivities and food allergies uh, are connected to leaky gut. So, so many things. And your health is determined so much by how well your gut is protecting you. So wow. it's like, I'm so glad that we get to talk about the gut because yeah. 20 years ago, it was not a common thing to talk. Like people thought that was dirty. You don't talk about the gut. You don't talk about, you know, microbes in your body. But now it's like, we all, we know that we have more microbes than we have of our own cells. So we better yeah. start talking about that. Yeah. And, and you know, the truth about it is a lot of things have changed in the past few years because our understanding of all this um, facts, it's, it's um, expanding. We're knowing more. So we just need to um, talk more about it and help people learn more. So sometimes because we're very, very connected, people are on social media, they're on all the different chats in hubs and all that. And they share all this information. A lot of times um, the inaccurate ones are the ones that spread the farthest. So 
they, they have an idea that there's something about microbiome. So someone makes up something and shares. So unless we, we talk about it as an educated people and people that really have sound information, talk more about this topic, we can dispel the wrong um, information that's circulating on social media. So yeah, it's, it's a great thing that we got a chance to talk about this. And it's so good to get your insights on this as well. I mean, there's a lot in, in, in that uh, response that you just gave and uh, very, very helpful. So one quick thing that I just want to follow up on that question um, is that people's, if someone, um, if someone is going through, um, listening tr uh, to this podcast, it's like, you know what? I think I should talk to my doctor or talk to my healthcare professional about this, about um, this uh, leaky gut um, syndrome and, or I'm talking about how I feel or whatever the situation is. But um, I have never experienced, uh, I don't have any known allergies. I don't have any known um, risk, risk factors, if we go use the, that word. One thing I notice is that sometimes people do not um, have um, maybe allergy to, uh, maybe they're, they're not allergic to um, gluten or anything they know of before, but somewhere along the line, they started developing allergies uh, um, to specific food types or the, I've heard of cases like that. And I was wondering um, if it's something you've, um, you've heard of or you've encountered with your patients as well, that people over time start changing and developing um, 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 resistance or allergies or whatever to specific food types. Is that anything, does that have anything to do with age or is it just um, something that, um, or is it something that we don't really fully understand yet? Like many of um, some other topics. Do you mind shedding a bit of light into that? Yeah, uh, well, just in, in humility, I think that we don't understand all the workings of the body. And I'm sure that much like an onion, which will be peeled, uh, you know, we will, our understanding will change. So, but if somebody does have allergies and they've come up without, you know, having allergies previously, I would start to look at a couple of things. Um, and a functional medicine practitioner usually thinks like this. Not everybody thinks like this as a health professional, but I always think since I'm a scientist, I look at mechanism. Like why does somebody have allergies now? Okay, so let's look at the immune system because the immune system oversees the response to different things and creates an allergenic response. So then I would look at the immune system. Do they have the proper nutrients? Now I would look at inflammation because inflammation and immunity go hand in hand. Like, are they having more stress in their lives? Stress can propel somebody into being more sensitized to the things in their environment. Another thing I would be looking at would be toxic burden. Like, do they have mold in their home? Are they breathing bad air every day? You know, there was even a study on noise pollution being connected to things like dementia. Like if you're constantly listening to noise, like this is not, um, there's so many different kind of toxins out there. So I would start thinking like, what is the body burden? Why can my body not fend a response now to this food when it used to before? So what else is my body fighting? What is the battle inside? So I would look at toxins. I would be looking not just at the individual toxins in the body, but also in their environment. You know, the home is such a source, especially people being at home more now. Right. 
there are things in our environment that we're breathing over and over again or exposed to. Maybe our water is not pure, yeah. or maybe it's something um, about our cookware. You know, maybe we're using the same Teflon pan and we know how toxic Teflon is. So I would start thinking like that. I would still go to the immune system because that's the first line of defense. Now the immune system is mostly connected to the gut. 60 to 70% of the immune system, its function is correlated with the gut. So I would think immune, which relates to the gut. I'd be thinking about inflammation. I would be thinking about toxic burden. And since my training is in nutrition, of course, my first line of defense would be, okay, how do we support those three things with nutrients? Thank you. That's such a great one. So I'll transition away from that and talk a little bit about um, optimizing wellness to nutrition, just the basic um, information for anyone that's listening today and is interested in optimizing their um, health to nutrition. One of the key things we say is, uh, if you are looking to make any changes to your dietary regimen, you should talk to your healthcare professional first. Why do you think this is very critical? What is most important, do you think? Or, well, I, I'll, before, I'll no, before we go to that question on, um, on where to start, I, I just want to kind of like put it out there. Of course, people are listening and they're thinking, oh, yeah, I should have this. I should have that. But um uh, but before we go into, you know, it's common like a like a disclaimer that we make that if you want to make um, changes to your diet regimen, you should talk to your healthcare professional first, and we think it's very important. Uh, yes. Because, yeah. So I was saying that, why do you think this is critical? That is critical because um, for some people, maybe they're on medications, and food can change the performance of medications. If you just start uh, taking a supplement on your own. It may have interactions like if you're on an anti-clotting medication, if you're on a diabetic medication, many people are on blood pressure lowering medications. And because nutrients and herbs are so potent, you can actually uh, go too low in blood pressure if you're not careful. So for people on medications, that's important. And also um, I think it's important to have a support network around you when you start to make changes so that they're lasting. Otherwise you do detox, retox, detox, retox, right? You know what I like? Keep going through the roller coaster. What you would ideally like to do is to sustain long lasting change. And sometimes that involves having a community that is supportive. <coughs> Excuse me. So I do think set yourself up for success, have your team of healthcare providers. And many times I, even for myself, I have more than a, a medical doctor. I have a massage therapist. I have a dentist that I go to twice a year. I have an acupuncturist. Set up your team. Check in with them. Get that little, that, that network going so that you go to a number of different providers depending on your needs. You know, in this day and age, people are becoming more educated, but it's also becoming a bit more complex to navigate because of all of the technology, all of the different supplements out there. So you don't want to be spending a lot of money on things that you may or may not need or may not actually even benefit you. That's, so it is important true. to make that disclaimer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's so true. And um, yeah, so I, I really like how you um, outlined some of the things, support system that people should have and what they should look into having a great one. So if someone is listening today and is interested in optimizing their health through nutrition, where should they start? Well, keep in mind that most medical doctors are not trained in nutrition. 
So they would have to go to a nutrition professional of some type or another practitioner who does nutrition. Sometimes that can be a naturopathic physician. Sometimes chiropractic physicians do nutrition, not all of them do. Going to a dietitian, going to a uh, nutritionist. So through my work at the American College of Nutrition, which is now the, um, you know, we, we've moved into the American Nutrition Association. Uh, what people can do is just go to the ANA, American Nutrition Association.org. You can explore finding somebody who has been trained in more of a broader way to think about nutrition because so many people are doing so many different types of nutrition type of work, right? Um, you know, a dietitian might have a different focus than a naturopathic physician. So you've got to find somebody who can work with you and who is well skilled in that art, according to what your needs and interest would be. Uh, there's also the website uh, functionalmedicine.org. So I am a certified functional medicine practitioner and you can find other certified functional medicine providers on the site. You could put in your zip code and then you can find out who is trained in your area and start working with them. And I think that's a wonder, you know, a functional medicine provider is somebody who thinks about the root cause. Like, why do you have allergies? Just like I broke it down and talked about those things, a functional medicine provider would be more apt to be thinking about that. Whereas if you go to a different type of pro provider, you might receive a medication for, um, you know, like a cortisone, you might get a cortisone shot if there's some kind of highly allergic response. There are so many different ways to deal with uh, health issues and, and problems, of course. Thank you. And one of one uh, final question um, in that regard before we uh, move on to something else is we know that food is important to health. And um, do you mind sharing some routines that people could integrate on a daily basis? I know you um, when you were talking about detox, you mentioned uh, first thing you do in the morning drink two cups of water. So are there other routines they can integrate on a day-to-day -day basis that could, um, that would be very valuable that you'd like to share? Yeah. Okay. So yes, when you first wake, uh, you are going to be dehydrated. So number one, ensuring water, good, healthy water supply. Um, and I would say the other thing is at the other end of the day is to stop eating at least three hours before bedtime mm -hmm. and allow a 12 to 14 hour window of not eating this is when you can fully digest and rest and then have renewal in the body, right? Like we're, we're not meant to be eating late into the night. And I see that with so many different people where they're snacking, they're snacking on foods that probably are more inflammatory at night, alcohol consumption at night. See if you can, one of the best strategies is to, for me, I try to stop by 6 p.m. I go to bed at 10 p.m you know, around that time, 10 p.m., 10.30 sometimes. And then I wake up at around 6.30. And then I might eat at around like 7.30. Today, it was a bit later at like, um, when did I eat? About 8.30. Um, so it was a little bit later. So just give yourself a window to recover. And the other thing I want to mention, Julia, is um, when you eat, try not to um, be in a place of stress because that will impact digestion. You wanna be really relaxed as much as you can. So, you know, away from technology, don't be reading the news while you're eating. <laughs> um, I think that that confers health. 
Uh, if you can exercise also throughout the day, that helps with blood sugar response. And one of the things I like to do is to take a walk after I've eaten a larger meal so that I'm moving that through the body better. In fact, there was just a study that came out showing that for certain people exercising at night was better for metabolic health. So it can help with certain metabolic parameters. But I, I would say, don't worry. I mean, it, just exercise whenever you can because the studies show that the number of steps that you take per day is coinciding with your longevity. So even if it's a short burst where you're just going up a stair stairwell and you're going up 20 stairs, take the stairs. I mean, it's, it's such a simple thing to remember, but like I went to Whole Foods yesterday and I, you know, I'm always wanting to park, you know, you see all these people trying to like get into those, those slots, the, the parking lot slot that's close to the door. I want the one the furthest away from the door so that I can get my stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's bringing it all together. And I would say, um, you know, we all have limiting beliefs. We all have thoughts that consume us. We sometimes overthink some things, and especially me, sometimes I'm just thinking the same thing. See if as much as you can to catch yourself in thoughts and just say, almost like a computer, cancel, reset. Let, let me think a new thought right now, because that thought is taking me down a path of stress. Like we have to see where does the stress come from, right? Sometimes it's our own stress that we create right. through our thoughts. Right. Wow, that's uh, that's really really insightful. Do you mind sharing a fun fact with us? It could be about you, it could be about your brand, but something that uh, that is just a fun fact. So um, one, I didn't mention this when I told my story, but one of the things that I got keyed into later in life was painting with very bright colors. And in fact, as part of my, um, you know, I always had a lot of reproductive issues and. It was my husband that noticed that when I would paint, I would paint circles and bright colors. You know, I'm not a trained painter or artist by any means, um, but there was something in the release of that that really helped me to heal. And I think that the fun fact for everybody is that we are all creative people and healing is an art as much as it is a science. And I think that we've lost the art. We've made it too structured, too too methodical. We, we need to bring back the sense of intuition, the art, the creativity, the play, the fun. We need to have fun around food rather than fear. So I would say, fun fact is, I mean, my, ho my home, you don't see it, but it's, it's littered with my paintings. And my husband's like, Deanna, I think you're putting paintings of your ovaries all over our house because it's like <laughs> all these circles. And But it was part of my stress release. It was like how... You know, I, I could go and take a walk, but I can, I also feel like there are emotional waters that run deep and you have to somehow, how do you get those out? Sometimes language doesn't suffice. So for me, painting. And so when people um, get to know me, they, they get to know that I'm a scientist as much as I am into really art and creative expression. I think it's important for our healing. I think it is. I think it's uh, it's important for us to find something to express what we have inside. For me, I love writing, um, and it just uh, it it brings out what I have 
within me in a very powerful way. Sometimes I'm writing and I'm crying. Like it's just, yeah. it's just, um, it's just an expression. Like, so yeah, that's, that's really uh, very powerful. Thank you so, so much. It's been so much fun. We could actually go on and on. I really enjoyed this. Uh, it's been so much fun connecting with you and just uh, learning about you and what you do. And I believe our audience will absolutely enjoy this episode as well. So um, thank you for tuning in. There is um, information about uh, Dr. Minich in the show notes. Read, visit the site, get the book. She has a number of books, six actually. So get as much as you can and uh, leave a review for her. Share with, share a work with your friends. And thank you so much for tuning in. Dan, thank you so much for connecting today. Really, really appreciate it. It's been a great conversation. Absolutely enjoyed it. Julia. Thank you yeah. so much. It's Take a care. pleasure. Yeah thank you so much for listening to this episode i'd like to share a very important tool that makes it very easy for me to prepare this podcast every single episode with you and that tool is a platform called anchor anchor is a platform created by spotify which makes it very easy to record edit merge insert music into your audio and just prepare everything you need for each of your episodes. It also makes it easy for you to work with your team as well. They could prepare the files for you and you upload easily or they upload for you. Whatever you want to do with preparing for and broadcasting your podcast, Anchor makes it easy. So check it out. It's free to create your account. And I also want to add this as a sponsored segment. Thank you again for listening to this episode. I look forward to connecting with you again in the future. Cheers. Thank you for listening. And until the next time we bring another exceptional leader your way, stay in touch with us on all social media platforms. Find details in the show notes.